0: The song is Nobody Here But Us Spooks. The band is Found Drowned. It's on their album Spooky Sounds, and they gave us permission to play that song on this episode of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. Welcome to Monster Kid Radio. I am your host, writer, producer, Derek M. Cook. And I'm excited to have you here because I've got an old friend on the show. I met him in person at Monster Bash back in, was it 2013? But before that, he'd been in my DVD player for quite some time. I'm talking about filmmaker, director, fellow podcaster, fellow monster kid, and just all-around good guy, Christopher R. Mim. So he is the man behind movies like Danny Johnson Saves the World, The Giant Spider, Monster of Venom Lake, House of Ghosts, and many more. He's been making movies for 10 years, and he is about to begin production on the newest one, Werskito, Nazi Hunter. We're going to talk a little bit about that, but that's not the only thing we're going to talk about with Christopher on this episode. No, we're going to talk about one of our favorite actors, one of the patron saints of Monster Kid Radio. We're going to talk about John Agar. Indeed he does. And we're going to get to our conversation about John Agar and his movies with Christopher Arnim right after this.
1: Christopher, what insanity are you
0: up to today? Oh, hey, Lydia, I'm downloading some movies. What? (laughs) People are always telling me that's illegal. Uh uh, not these. They're all public domain. Oh, look, Rescue from Gilligan's Island.
1: Let me see what you're doing. Oh, you're at archive.org. Well, they have thousands of films, TV shows, commercials, radio shows, and books available.
0: Yeah, but there are so many. I wish there's a podcast or something that would discuss these things. You know, give us an idea of what's worth the time.
2: Um, Christopher, there is. We do one.
0: Oh, that's right. We host Orphan Entertainment. Once a month, we pick something from Archive.org and review and discuss it. That sure is nice of us.
2: Sure. Why don't you
1: click over to orphan-entertainment.jonja.net and remind yourself a little more about the show.
0: <laughs> we'll do. So let's see. That's
1: orphan-entertainment.jonja.net. Hey, can we review the Gilligan's Allen movie sometime? Mm hmm, we'll see, Christopher. We'll see. Journey into Double Terror with the late night double feature. With X, the fiend from beyond space, and the wall people. A crew
3: of interstellar explorers must fight an unstoppable alien fiend from beyond space, hell-bent on consuming them all. Will they survive? Can they survive? And on the
0: same program... A man must fight to save his only child from the clutches of strange invaders who use their advanced technologies
1: to steal sleeping children through their bedroom walls.
2: Are your children safe? Two terrors to tear you apart in The Late Night Double Feature.
0: Like the dead elf, I say, John Agar rules. But so does this guy that I have on the show right now. Christopher R. Mim has not been on the show in quite some time. Welcome back to Monster Kid Radio, sir.
4: Thank you for having me, sir.
0: Listen to you all polite and all that. We've been chatting for like five, ten minutes before we started recording here, and uh, you know, he's like, sir. Like,
4: it won't last. It won't
0: last. <laughs> How's the new year treating you so far? Not too bad.
4: Uh, I'm actually quite excited to get going on my new film, which is, is soon, so... uh that's how it's treating me, I guess.
0: <laughs> well, we're very, very excited for that movie here in Montecito. I'm a, I'm a long time fan of what you do. I've been a fan of the Memiverse for quite some time, and I think starting off the second decade of your films with Werksito Nazi Hunter. Yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> The name itself has, I'm sure, gotten everybody's interest, right?
4: Yeah, and actually the funny thing is the concept of a were which for anyone who out there is wondering, and I'm sure you can figure it out, but I'm just going to explain it anyway, uh, is it's like a werewolf, but a man turns into a half-man, half-mosquito, right? Uh, so it's sort of a mix of a fly and a werewolf and maybe a touch of vampires because they suck blood, right? Uh, the concept of a were is was uh, something we came up with a long time ago, actually, uh because I remember talking about it at a convention I was doing in, I think two thousand eight i was people were asking me ideas I had for other movies, and that was one of the ones i I said, but it wasn't something that really grabbed me. It's a cool idea, but I was just I couldn't really find the story to tell about it and I still don't remember honestly how Nazi Hunter became tacked onto it, but as soon as I said the words. Out loud, Where Skido Nazi Hunter. It was one of those sort of like light bulb moments. I want to make that movie. I don't know what it is, but I'm making that movie. Uh, that also happened with uh, I made a movie called Cave Women on Mars several years ago. And as soon as I said the title out loud, I said, I don't know what that is, but I'm going to make it. So again, this one started off as, as a title and a vague idea of what a Where was. And then now we're making
0: it. I'm reminded of the scene in the 1994 film, Ed Wood, when he's trying to get the job to do Glenda Glenda. Do you have a script? No, but I got a poster. So it's like, you got a script? No, but I got a title.
4: Exactly.
0: Well, you know, they, they used to do that. I
4: mean, they, exactly. there's, there's, there's a lot to be said for that. And When you make these sort of cheesy, uh, classic, retro, 1950s, 60s-style films, one of the best ways, I find, to really emulate those movies is you have to come up with a really great title that screams, you know, hyperbolic and very descriptive.
0: Well, they're they're catchy words for sure. Where Skeeto had me, right? And it's not it's not
4: like a lot of films now. I mean, uh, you know, take what's up for best picture now, The Revenant. I mean, do you even know what that is? Really? I mean, this, back then it wasn't like that. It was, you know, to uh, to use an example for talking about John Egger today. You know, tarantula. I mean, there you go. You just that's all you need to know. There's a spider in it. Right.
0: That's right. I mean, that tradition lasted at least until the 80s with Charles Band and Full Moon coming up with the title and then building a movie around it. And I, I can't wait to see what you build around Where's Skeeto. And as of this recording, last night you had your first table read.
4: We did. The entire cast was not there, but uh, that's okay because uh, the the main principal actors were there. And uh, Mitch Gonzalez has been on your show a couple times, uh, was there. He's creating the Wear Skeeto costume. It went really well. Uh, all things considered, we went through the the script, we talked a lot about the the tone of the film, which is going to be much, much darker than anything I've ever done. A lot of times when I make movies, uh, and you can sort of tell this when you go through my catalog, if you watch every movie that I release or then release order, the tones of my films tend to jump around So as to me so as to me, you know, I'm not making the same movie over and over again. Because I'm making these types of, of film sometimes you can end up in a in a situation where you could easily make the same thing. You know what I mean? Every movie sure. could be just a variation on a single theme. But uh, I, I try to branch out from that and so one of the things I do is, is try to change the tone of each movie. And and the last movie I made was Danny Johnson Saves the World, which is a very lighthearted children's film in essence. Uh stars kids, it has Muppet style puppets, it's got a robot. I mean it's it's a Christmas movie, basically. So it's very, very light. So when I decided to make Werskido Nazi Hunter, I figured I'd, I'd need to tone it down and make it a little darker. And then, of course, once you start getting into that particular subject matter, it's a little difficult to make Nazis and human experimentation light. So it got darker and darker as I went along. And this is a little change from my past films, too, is that the, the main character, who's played by Douglas Sidney, who's been in several of my movies before, he is, is the guy who was turned into the Wearskido by the Nazis, and uh, he is hunting down the people that did this to him, that you know got out of Nazi Germany before the fall. He's the first time I've made a monster that's kind of sympathetic in a way that he's using his, his horrible disfiguration for good. Uh, instead of just, you know, randomly attacking people. But as I got into the story, it just got darker and darker and darker. And I like that. And I think I'm pushing the boundaries of the things I've done up to this point while still trying to keep it very much within my own wheelhouse. So it's not too, you know, I don't want to completely suddenly make a grindhouse film or anything, but I do like the tone of this and that it is, it's heavy uh, in a way that I've never done. And I'm very excited to play with that a little bit. So did I, did I answer your question? No, you did, man. I am excited.
0: I am on board and listeners, I'm going to talk about it at the end of the show. And there's always links in the show notes at monstergoodradio.net, st. euphoria.com. You can go there, learn about all of Chris's movies and even help support them. Do you call it the contributor program now? Yes. Where you can kick in a little bit, help produce the film, and you can get a ticket to the movie uh, or a copy of the DVD. You can all sorts of cool stuff at that website. I mean, I'm a, a member of the fan club. You know, yeah. I'm always looking forward to what you've got coming up on the website. And, uh, you know, of course, we're going to get back to this, but good luck with the project. I can't wait to see how the film turns out.
4: Well, and I'll say this right now. Derek, we've always we've always appreciated your enthusiasm and uh, how much you've helped support us and, and talked about the movies and the universe over the years. So thank you very much for that. And I'm, I'm just going to say right now that Whatever it is I do on my next film after Where's Keto, I'm going to put you in it somewhere. Oh, yeah? Yep, you're, you're going to be in it somewhere. It may just be that you'll just be an announcer. Right? You know, you may be a TV personality or, or a reporter or something. Oh, wow, that'd be fun. We're getting you in there, dang it.
0: That would be a blast. I would love to do it. It'd be an honor. Ooh, I'm, I'm all goosebumpy now. Well, we got a cool idea for the next one. Uh, I right. can't really, I'm not going to get too into it. Well, we'll get Where's Keto done first. Yeah, i got to focus on the Where's Keto. I have a tendency to get.
4: I have a million ideas and I just, going to force myself to focus on what I'm doing right now.
0: You know, we're creatives. That's what we do, though. We've got <laughs> a thousand yeah. different ideas going on at once.
4: I'm telling you, the worst of the days when you're like, ah, I don't have any ideas, and then, you know, the next day you can't stop.
0: You know, I'm in real trouble if I lose all my notebooks where I've written everything down. we so, <laughs> got so many of the yeah, ideas smart. coming in. You know? I don't. I
4: should. Uh, <laughs> but I don't. I definitely should, shouldn't.
0: Well, I know the movie's starting to pick up. You know, production's going to start here soon, so I wanted to get you on the show to talk about it and talk about one of our favorite actors, John Agar. I call him one of the patron saints of Monster Kid Radio.
4: That's appropriate.
0: You can't think of these monster movies, especially the monster movies that you direct your aesthetic toward, without thinking about John Agar. True. He is just an iconic actor, so much fun to watch, charismatic.
4: And on top of that, you know, I mean, I actually, one of the actors that I've used several times in my films, part of the reasons why... I actually gave him the role. The first time he auditioned for me it was horrible. He was terrible. Uh-huh. One of the big reasons why I gave him the role anyway was that he reminded me of John Agar.
0: I think I know which actor it is because I think we've talked about this before.
4: Yes, it's a guy named Dan Shervin, Daniel Shervin. He there was something about him that he had this, and this is the thing that is great about John Agar is that he had this particular presence on screen. It's a charm that not every man has. It's a scoundrelliness. <laughs> that's not really a word, but it's a, you know it's a wink in their eye that translates through film. One of the hardest things uh, as a director to find in an actor is someone who has presence and comes across as having sort of personality on screen. Because you can get any actor to go up there and read their lines, right? And you can even find actors that lose themselves in roles hmm. and become these these characters, and they lose all of their personality with the extreme example being someone like, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis, right? But then you get these, this special breed of actor that has such a strong and usually charming personality that no matter what they do, no matter who they play, it comes through. John Agar was one of those people that had that, that presence. He came through in such a way that I think you could just sort of feel watching him, like, you know, he'd probably be kind of cool to hang out with. <laughs> yeah. You know?
0: Oh, yeah. Charm is the best way to put He's got this charm. This 20 charm. times Yeah. It's perfect.
4: Yeah. Honest charm. And that thing that he, even, no matter how bad the movie was, he was in.
0: <laughs> uh, it's
4: still kind of, that charm came through, and he made it watchable, and he made it seem like if it was bad enough that you could make jokes about it, there's almost a party that's like, he's in on the joke, but he's not letting on.
0: <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you know, he did do some clunkers uh he did some bigger pictures as well he didn't start in monster movies so he started no. uh, with the john wayne crowd right
4: the westerns right
0: for a guy that's become the patron saint of what we do here to start with movies like she wore a yellow ribbon that's a far cry from battling the gill man
4: <laughs> quite uh yeah he's a port apache and, mm-hmm. and uh you know again that shows some range
0: yes right? mm-hmm. he's
4: still him of course, he was quite young when he did those pictures with John Wayne. He came into his own once he started being stuck in the creature features, uh, and he made them his own.
0: You can definitely see that he's taking ownership of the roles, and I never had an opportunity to beat him, but I've heard that at conventions, when he was doing the convention scene, he was very grateful, very gracious with his fans really appreciated that they appreciated his work in these monster movies, that this is what he was known for. Didn't have a problem with that at all. He was in on the joke. Like he said, I think it's a really good way to put it as well. He was along there with us. He's like, right. hey, watch what I'm going to do now, you know?
4: You know, some actors you could tell as they, you know, maybe got, uh, I say stuck, you know, because of the studio system. Sort of got stuck in the creature features. You could tell that maybe they weren't so happy about it. You'd see some of these actors that were recurring that maybe we're just doing it for the paycheck and maybe they're phoning in a little bit. Sure. Right. You never get the sense of that. He always, honestly, especially with some of my favorites of what he's done, it seemed like he was giving it his all. Honestly, maybe I'm reading more into it, but it just never seemed like he was the type of person that really was just like, well, it's just a job. I just got to do my job. And it was more like, yeah, oh, this is cool. And, and again, I think that's his presence coming through. It's his charm mm-hmm. coming through on everything he did.
0: It always feels like to me, it's more than just a paycheck to him. And and maybe it it was just a paycheck to him, but if it was, that makes him even a better actor than we think he is now. That's right. He never acted like it.
4: Right. He sold the fact that uh, even if it was just a paycheck, he was still having a good time doing it, even if he wasn't.
0: Right. Exactly. Even when he's working with somebody like Larry Buchanan, you know, doing the low, low, low budget stuff. Right. He's still having a blast. And because of that, we're having a blast watching him. Exactly. And that's not a dig at Buchanan. I love a lot of his films, but I mean… (laughs) Budget-wise. Again, far cry from battling the Gill Man. Yeah, exactly. Uh, (laughs) Now, do you remember the first time you saw him in a film, or does that stick out to you? It doesn't to me. When I think about Edgar, it's like he's always been there with my monster movies.
4: I grew up with a lot of these movies, and I don't think I really took a lot of notice when I was a kid of who was in them per se. So I was very obsessed with the monsters. Sure. <laughs> uh, and so the, the the actors as a kid were just secondary. It didn't matter. It's like get out of the let me see the monster. And as I got older sort started paying more attention, I think, as I sort of revisited a lot of these. because uh, there was a good chunk of my life where I just kinda I guess denied my monster kidness. Uh until I started sorta getting back into it and really I went kind of nuts and watched everything that I could find and bought everything I could find. Like the joke I make now is the only things I can find now are the weird Mexican ones. Uh,
0: that's,
4: that, that's the only stuff I don't have,
0: and that's good stuff, though.
4: Yeah, exactly. But that's 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 it now. Um, but I don't think until I was you know much older that I started paying attention to who was in these films. I think I would guess that uh, Attack of the Puppet People mm. was when when I really started like, hey, that guy's done a whole bunch of stuff. This is too, as I started working toward uh, making movies myself. So I think I started having a different eye uh, toward the, the movies beyond just the entertainment value. And I think it was that one that really grabbed me just because he's awesome in that. Yeah, he is. And that's a, that's a really cool movie too. I mean, I really like Bert Gordon films and uh, I,
0: I dig that movie. It's obvious. I mean, when you see something like giant spider for me, you like the, the, the size changing type films and, and... Burt Gordon's work is amazing. Anyway, you put Agar in the mix, <laughs> you've got a winner. You mentioned uh, that you never got a chance
4: to to meet John Agar, but uh, a couple years ago, I was actually able to meet Bernie Gordon. Oh, wow. Uh, at the Monster Bash in, I think, 2010. He's one of my absolute all-time favorite directors as far as this era is concerned. And it was one of the coolest things to me, an icon. And I think I maybe freaked him out a little bit because it was almost like, wait, you've heard of me? You've heard of me this much? Okay. <laughs> and actually, I found out, and I, I didn't realize this until until I met him, uh, and he started talking to me, is that he's from the area I live in. He's from the upper Midwest. Oh, wow. uh, he's, from, he's from Wisconsin and got his start in Minneapolis, where I live. And so we talked a little bit about that, and, and his, his big advice was basically, get the hell out of Minneapolis. Um, <laughs> but uh it was just it was really cool to uh to go meet uh i mean there aren't too many of the uh the folks from back then still around uh, and i know he's in his 90s now and actually just recently released a movie that he directed it was really cool to uh to meet to meet one of my my cinematic heroes but uh that's a sidebar let's get back to, to
0: hey you know if you get a chance to meet any of your heroes ladies and gentlemen you need to do it because they're not always going to be with us and Anyway, sidebar aside, John Agar. Like I said, I I feel like he was always kind of there for me, monster movie-wise. I first became aware of the name, though, in the 80s when Clive Barker's *The Nightbreed came out. And everybody made a big deal about how John Agar had a cameo in that. And that was supposed to be a really special thing because John Agar was this guy in all these monster movies. Well, I didn't know any of that. like, oh, okay. So John Agar, famous guy. Okay, moving on. Didn't really sink in. Until I started looking at these movies myself. And I think of the monster movies that I watch the most. If I go back to watch a movie I've already seen before, a good 50% of the time, if not more, it's got Agar in it. He's just (laughs) infinitely watchable.
4: It's true. He makes some of the the less watchable stuff a little more watchable. I have a huge man crush on the guy. (laughs) I'll just admit it.
0: You and I should start the John Agar fan club. Man crush fan club.
4: Yeah, seriously. I don't know. It was just, there's something about the guy. He may be sort of the king of B-movies, but I think he had actual talent. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of those old B-films from especially the 50s and 60s, the monster creature features, you know, get a bad rap for the sort of wooden acting. He was above that a little bit. I mean, even in, in some of his quote-unquote worst films, again, he just had at least presence. Uh, and I think it didn't matter what who was directing him. He probably elevated it at least a little bit over whatever the director was trying to do, even around those around him. I just, I don't know. He has a, like I said, I keep coming back to this idea of presence uh, on screen that he had that very few actors really do have. And I think that's what makes him appealing as a person is that you can imagine, like I said, hang out with the guy and imagine that it's probably not that far fetched or far away from what he's like on screen. Uh, that he'd probably be a cool guy just to sit and talk to. I know he had a bit of a a drinking problem at one point in his life, so he's probably fun to hang out with uh, and go party with if you were into that kind of thing.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. Have you read his autobiography?
4: I I have read his autobiography. Uh, Have you?
0: Yes, I have. Yeah, On the Good Ship Hollywood.
4: Yes, everyone should. If you're a listener of this program, if you have not read it, there's absolutely no reason for you to continue listening to this until you go get a copy and read
0: it. And it's a short read, so you won't be gone very long.
4: It is, and it's great, and of course it was he sort of blamed uh, uh, John Wayne for his uh, drinking.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, uh, I get the impression John Wayne uh, was a professional drinker and then acted on the side yeah. sometimes.
4: Well, there, I remember there's, there's a great story that he talks about, I think he was, when he was working on Fort Apache, uh, and it was really his first big Hollywood role and. He uh, wanted to sort of hang with the big boys, so he was like, well, I guess I'm going to drink. And so they drank a lot. Uh, it Sounds like they're having a really good time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> drank a lot, but then I, if I remember right, doesn't he comment on how he would show up at set the next day, just hung over and trashed. But John Wayne was ready to go. Yep. Yep, no big deal. What up?
4: That's the funny thing, though, about that era, uh, and this is one of the things that uh, I discuss with my inner circle of people who make, help me make my movies, about that era is that even in the movies, everyone smokes and everyone drinks constantly. Yeah. It's just the way it was. And you talk to, you know, for us, uh, it's, it's our grandparents and, and folks of that age, maybe older. Uh, and they're just like, yeah, that's just what, the way it was. You just, you drink, you smoke. It was, it was just the way it was.
0: <laughs> Oftentimes and at work. It just was, <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah.
4: you know, at the doctor's office. Yeah. Uh, the den- <laughs> dentist would smoke and hope you didn't, you know, get any ashes in your mouth and you know,
0: that kind of thing. <laughs> Definitely a different era. And then, I guess that's one thing that I do appreciate about, you, if I can sidebar now myself, one of the things I do appreciate about your movies is while you're not slavishly, uh, beholden to these aesthetics. Not everybody's smoking, not everybody's drinking. I think Castle chews on a cigar, but that's about it, right?
4: Well, yeah, and and you know, the Castle thing obviously is it's a nod to William Castle and part of his, you know, people know about him is that he always had the big stogie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's just it's more of a tip of the hat than anything. I made a pact with myself when I started making these tight movies that uh, I would do as much as I could to go toward authenticity, but I wouldn't be a slave to it. I wouldn't, you know, if something works better with a slightly more modern touch, I'm okay with it as long as I feel like the spirit is there. Right. And as long as I'm not making fun of it, I think that's the one thing that I try really hard not to do is I don't want to make fun of it. I know other filmmakers who do this sort of retro style film, a lot of times they take what I, I think is kind of the easy road, which is just let's poke fun at it. By, you know, modern standards and by our sort of spoiled CGI eyes. We're we're used to a certain aesthetic, and when you look back at the wooden sets and the the cardboard and the doughy monster or whatever, you can kind of laugh at it. And part of that low-fi, low-budget, you know, look and feel is part of the appeal, I think, for some of us. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. for me, I like that because you're you can see what things are. Uh, you can yeah. you can tell that it's a guy in a mask, and there's there's something real about that that adds to the the beauty and the the artistry of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of times, but I think a lot of times it it makes it an easy target. And so you get these other filmmakers who a lot of times will just go at that angle of Mm -hmm. look at how bad and cheesy and and cheap our costume is. Uh, And I try really hard not to do that. And so I figure it doesn't have to be a hundred percent authentic. It doesn't, I don't have to use film stock from the fifties. I don't have to get that, the, Hairstyle's just right. I don't have to have constant smoking or, or whatever in my films. Uh, but if it's appropriate, I'll do it. Well, a lot, another thing, too, is I don't smoke. And honestly, I don't know a lot of people that smoke. Right. And so I don't want to force actors to do it. But also, if I'm filming in my house, I don't necessarily want people smoking at my house either because I have to deal with it uh, after the fact for weeks later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have children, and I don't want them to be around it. So one of the things we'll just do is we'll throw an ashtray in somewhere to sort of apply uh, you know, on a spaceship, which I still think is funny. Uh, <laughs> no, it's just like there are ashtrays everywhere. No one smokes, but they're there at least in case someone. wants There you go. To.
0: All right, we Martin nod, again. We yeah. yeah, Martin again. Let's sorry. get back to no, no. I started it this time, <laughs> but it's my show. I, I, I can do whatever I want. So
4: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and honestly, you get me on my films. I'll keep you there. So no, you be that's fine. No, you <laughs>
0: it, it's all good. It's all good. But I, I do love the films. But yeah, I, I also love me some agar. Uh, you and I actually at one point started playfully arguing about what our favorite John Agar film was, which which one is the best. And at one point I thought it might be fun to just have like a a debate, but you know what? I haven't done a top three list here on the show. And I thought it would be fun to do a a top three, a countdown your top three. And then what my top three John Agar films, I suspect there's going to be a little bit of crossover. And that's okay. I would guess there's going to be a little. Yeah, Yeah, I I would say a little. I'm I'm going to start. That way we can end with you on your your number one, since you're the guest. Uh, I'm going to start with three, and then you do three, and then back and forth, back and forth. My my number three top John Agar film, right now anyway, because it could change. (laughs) Right. Yeah, and that's probably the caveat here. We love these movies so much, I'm sure at some point something's going to change a little bit. I'm going to go a little outside the norm, though. I'm going to go outside of the 50s. I'm going to go to the late 60s with John Agar for my number three John Agar film. I'm going to go with the 1967 film Night Fright.
1: We interrupt the music to bring you a news bulletin concerning the fiery object that was reported to have crashed in the hills east of town an hour ago.
0: Fiery object? What's
2: he talking about? Shh. Let's hear this.
1: The object, whatever it was, has not been located yet. Although state police are combing the area where it was seen to have come down, no trace of any wreckage or debris has been found. The witnesses to the mysterious crash of farmer and his wife, Mr. and Mrs. Henry Stokes, said they were just preparing to retire for the night when they saw a bright flash through their bedroom window. They ran to the window just in time to see what Mr. Stokes described as a giant-sized shooting star dive behind a hill and apparently explode. The witnesses were unable to say exactly how far away the fireball fell, and it is believed that this is the reason the searchers have been unsuccessful in locating it. Stay tuned to the station for further developments as they occur. Now we return to music for your late hour listening enjoyment. What in the world do you think it was?
2: Not from this world, baby. You heard what the man said. It came from the sky.
1: Betty, are you ever serious?
2: Sure, I'm real serious right now.
0: You. it's a public domain film it's kind of low budget but in the film john agar plays a sheriff of a small town dealing with this government experiment that goes wrong and makes this animal kind of go crazy and terrorizing the neighborhood and i love john agar in the authoritative role i love him as the boss because even though <clears> he's still you know the hardcore sh- well supposedly the the top guy the sheriff the kids still like him and you know you still want to do what he says because even though he's the man it's, it's okay it's john agar he's the man it's okay and, and I like that kind of that role. And I would love to have seen John Agar play in some more monster movies into the late 60s, uh, a slightly older John Agar it gives him a little bit more authority, but he still is somebody you want to hang out with. Right. So that, that's where I would go with my number three with Night Fright. Like I said, it's public domain. You can see it on a lot of uh, Mill Creek box sets, archive.org. I'm sure it's everywhere. And there is somebody remaking the film. So there, there's a remake of that really? play, uh, at one point. It. it Got stalled a little bit in production, but it is eventually going to be coming. They're calling it The Cosmic Creature, and it will be coming soon.
4: They should have called Daniel Shervin to play uh, John Agar's role. <laughs>
0: the John Agar role. What would be your number three?
4: I'm going to go uh, a touch into the 60s as well. Oh, okay. um, But this this may be uh, a little more uh, obvious, if you know me. I'm actually going to go with 1962's Journey to the Seventh Planet.
0: Oh, yeah.
4: The Sid Pink masterpiece. <laughs> Thank you.
3: With a seventh sense? Can they make things and people appear and disappear? Who opened the airlock? Have they new and terrifying powers of mind over matter? His arms frozen. Can they reach deep into
1: your subconscious to make you feel terrors more horrifying than you know of? Give us an hour. If we don't show up. You know you don't have to wait any longer.
2: You have come to destroy me. But my weapons are more powerful than yours. Your own fears have created the means of your destruction. Ah!
4: Space crew goes to uh, Uranus and finds uh, like uh, a Dutch village on it. <laughs> there's something about this movie that is definitely it's it's. I don't want to say it's bad, because it's it's very very watchable.
0: Oh, indeed.
4: And I love that about that. And it's just it's bizarre. And there's there's a lot about it that doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense, but it doesn't matter. And Agar in it is. At his sort of height of taking that charm that we've been discussing so much, the sort of wink in the eye, and pushes it to the absolute limits. Oh, yeah. To the point that he kind of plays the womanizer in the movie. (laughs) Kind of. (laughs) Because, you know, they they find this empty Dutch village, but of course there are also girls there. And he's always has a joke, uh, and it's implying that he's going to sleep with all of them, either, you know, alone or all at the same time. (laughs) uh and there's just there's there's something about the movie uh and and his performance in it that uh, it's hard to describe how sort of good bad it is I, i like to talk about sort of things that are good bad which is you know so bad it's good uh and john agar even in this really pushes the limits this is where he maybe starts being you know he's really trying to salvage this this film and i think he does a good job partially because he is funny in it and 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 the special effects in the film are kind of atrocious, but in the best way possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's a brain creature, there's lasers that are made by scratching the film stock. I mean, it's just, it's so cool. You know, Sid Pink, I don't know, uh, his films are, are sort of special. And uh, this one is, is extra special.
0: Isn't John Agar like the only American in the cast?
4: Yes, he is. Um, and maybe this is the point where, in his career, that uh, he started sort of getting away from some of the better creature features and i you know i don't know maybe he took this on a bet or was just being nice to someone or he just needed the money i don't know it was doesn't matter the 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 film is fantastic and it's got a really great poster but they all of course do this one definitely has a great poster
0: the poster is fantastic yeah and it's got this awesome theme song can you play it
4: on the on the show (laughs) if you can find it Just a snippet of it, like, is there some sort of, you know, I'll I'll figure something out. I'll figure something out. Yeah, just even just the the opening line Journey
3: to the seventh
2: planet, come to me, let your dreams become reality.
4: Ugh. I uh, that's what I think. Is there's so much about the, the movie that's a, sort of a misstep in a way that comes together so beautifully, and then you wrap it all up with a, with a John Agar bow, and it just makes it that great.
0: <laughs> None of the steps are the right ones, but the dance is still fun to watch anyway.
4: Exactly. <laughs>
0: Now I want to go watch that movie and not just because I got the song stuck in my head and I think I might get it out of it by watching it.
4: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> but it is a fun movie. Oh man, and the womenizer uh, in him. I mean, he's he's out Kirking Kirk.
4: Exactly. Uh and it feels like it, it almost feels like uh, a really bad episode of the original Star Trek. Like it was a toss away It was like just they're like, we're not going to produce this one. This this sounds horrible. And someone found that script in the garbage and was like, I'm making this movie and I'm going to
0: put John Agar in. It. Oh, is it that easy? Is that <laughs> find a script laying around somewhere? It's like, hey, let's make this movie. It's like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, for my for my number two, I'm going to go to a bigger budget movie. I'm going to go back to the studio, and we were talking about the studio system and all. And I think it's interesting that Agar got out of the studio system, the studio contract. But the first real big movie he made after getting out of his contract was a Creature Feature. (laughs) He's still working for Universal. My number two is a Universal monster movie. It's from 56, The Mole People.
2: Gentlemen, we're in 3000 B.C. To reach this lost civilization,
1: science had followed a trail through burning desert sands, through the roaring avalanches of Mount Kuitara, and finally, deep into the bowels of the earth. Not even history had recorded the existence of this unknown empire of darkness. There is no
2: world beyond ours. If I ever get out of here, into my world...
3: The world of light and flowers...
2: Will he come with me?
1: Never before had outsiders beheld such sights. The sacred ritual of the sun death. The blazing sacrificial chambers. The court of the all-powerful high priests of
3: Ishtar. You will die in the fire of Ishtar.
1: The blood-lusting mole people storming from their subterranean caverns.
4: That's a good one.
0: Oh, so good. It's John Agar, Beaver's dad, (laughs) Hugh Beaumont. And and some great monster design. I love the look of the mole people in this movie.
4: They do some really cool stuff with it, too, with them coming up through the ground and the whole thing. I mean, there's, there's something about we just talked about the original Star Trek. There's something about the mole people that also feels like it could have easily been an episode of the uh, the
0: original Star Trek. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Instead of Agar as archaeologist, he could have been anything like a Kirk or whatever. He could have gone down and found the civilization. And it's, I really like the Lost World movies when they're done well. And I feel like the script in this is pretty interesting. I think the opening bit with the scientists talking about the hollow earth theory is a little hokey. But overall, I think the script is good. I think the story is strong. I think it took some chances at the end of the film with the ultimate fate of the woman, a play by Cynthia Patrick. Cast wise, I mean, Nestor Pieva's in the film. We've got John Agar with him. I like Nestor Pieva a lot, and he's going to come up again here in a moment. You've got the guy who played the butler in the Batman TV show, Alan Napier, as the villainous high priest or the villain, yeah, villainous is the word, high priest. And the monsters. The monster design in this is great. And it's not your traditional, typical, universal monster movie score from this era as well. The score is a little different. I mean, it's still in that wheelhouse, but it's a little different. So the music's fun. I just really enjoy this film. I could watch this one over and over again. Yeah,
4: I I do too, actually. I'm a huge Star Trek fan, and it does very much feel like Mm -hmm. almost like a classic Star Trek episode. There are a couple of movies from that era that, that do, and this is definitely one of them. And I think the first time I really saw it, that's what I thought. The monster design is very unique and very cool. Uh and they do some very cool stuff, you know, using darkness, cool lighting uh, techniques when they're in the caves and the overall look and feel of the film is is unique in a way that doesn't necessarily lend itself to feeling like any other movie from the era. I think that helps it stand out. And and the story is very entertaining. I think you're right. I think the the beginning they're they're kind of shoehorning in some things to make sure that all the logic works, but as a screenwriter, I understand that.
0: <laughs> sure. I mean, I get it, too. It just feels a little on the nose as, as a modern yeah. viewer, putting yourself in the mindset of, of back then, I suppose, it didn't really matter so much.
4: Right. And and it's at the beginning, by the time you get into the meat of the story, you, you totally forgot about the appetizer. So it doesn't matter. Yep. Uh, I think that's a, that's a fantastic choice. And that was definitely one that I had considered. But uh, my second choice is is one I've actually already mentioned, uh, and that is the 1958 Attack of the Puppet People.
3: John Agar is the nice-looking young man Introduced by John Hoyt To pretty June Kenny And when boy meets girl Well, they do what comes naturally But the loss of love has made this mild-mannered man Into a maniac A maniac who wants to make you a plaything And the fear-awesome fact is He knows how to do it
2: Why, I'm your
3: friend. How would you like to be a living doll this madman can do with as he pleases? A monster, his own woman, had reason to flee. See, the world that the child in each of us knows. See, a baby doll take a bubble bath in a coffee can.
2: What are you talking about? Sally tell He said that tonight, he said tonight he
3: was going to kill us all.
2: It only takes one of us to go for help.
3: Feel the fantastic fear of living in a normal world but being dwarfed by people many times your size.
4: For those who have not seen the movie, it is the I. Gordon film. So. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, exactly. Why are you listening to this? You need to go read John Egghart's autobiography and then see attack the puppet people.
0: We'll we'll wait for you. You can come back. That's fine. We'll wait for you. Yeah,
4: you can come back. This is a this is the kind of thing where you can pause it, go do your thing, come back and you it's like you've never left. There's something about that movie that just from a from a standpoint of sort of a, a cool unique idea. And this, again, is, is sort of the Burt Igordon, Gordon. It was directed by Burt Gordon. And he he came up with this story as well. Burt Igordon Gordon, a lot of his films dealt with things becoming really big or really small. And this is one of the times when he went with really small. And the story is kind of nonsensical. You know, there's a puppet maker, doll maker, who whenever he feels like people are going to leave him, he turns people into living dolls. And, uh, you know, we talked about the opening theme song of Journey to the Seventh Planet. There's also a, a a little hit single in this movie as well. Oh, yeah? It's something about uh, You're My Living Doll or something like that. <laughs> it's it's pretty bad. It's it's just thrown in in the middle. And, of course, it was one of those, those things they did back then where they, oh, what was the rule? It was uh, the people making these films knew that uh, half the teenagers there weren't, weren't actually watching the movie. I think they were doing something else. Lord knows what. <laughs> <laughs> but so a lot of times they would throw in these songs that at least they could hear it while they're doing whatever it is they're doing. Uh, so they would throw in these songs in the hopes that they would capture the imagination of these teenagers to go by the record. Uh, but yeah, there's this song. Is Attack of the Public People is, it's really cool. John Agar is in it. He gets captured uh, and becomes the hero of the piece uh, along with, uh, you know, and he's got the love interest, the whole thing. The special effects in it are fantastic. Mm-hmm. especially for the the time. And this is what Burt Gordon, of course, is well known for, was he was actually a special effects guy before he really started making movies. It shows that a lot of his films were sort of built around a particular special effects technique he wanted to try or was working on. Uh, that's how you get The Amazing Colossal Man, and he made the beginning of the end and this one. and It's very watchable. It's it's entertaining as hell. You know, John Agar is John Agar in the most John Agar-y way as possible. <laughs> he's got the charm. He's got the, the hero's jaw. I mean, he does what needs to be done. And and actually, uh, there's also uh, the sort of puppet maker guy was played by uh, John Hoyt, and he's fantastic in it, because he has this sort of creepy calmness to him throughout the entire film. It works uh, in making him actually kind of creepy, even though the premise of the film is ridiculous. But uh, beyond that... It's a great movie. I highly recommend it if you've
0: never seen it. John Hoyt's a creepy dude. He's just got the look. I mean, anything that he's in, he's going to have this look that's a little intimidating. And in Puppet People, he's got a slightly unhinged touch. It's just, it's really good. He's a great villain. Agar's a great hero in the film. And again, it's one of those things where you see every man, you want to follow along with him, you want to hang out with him. It doesn't matter if we shrunk down to six inches tall, so whatever. We'll have a good time. All right, So, th- so that was your number two. Now I want to go to my number one, and I think. People, if you don't already know, I, you're not listening to me. You're not listening to the show. You don't know me if you don't know that I'm going to say Revenge of the Creatures my number one.
1: Scientifically study a creature that, by all the laws of nature, should have died a quarter of a million years ago.
3: They dared to bring him back alive from his haunts deep in the jungles of the Amazon. They dared to put him on display with the other denizens of the deep while thousands came to
2: marvel and wonder.
3: You know, I I pity him sometimes. He's so alone. The only one of his kind in the world.
2: If anything goes wrong, you head straight for the surface, you understand? All right, let's go. They dared to study him,
3: to probe him, to tempt him with the lure of a woman's beauty, thinking that mere chains could hold in check the primeval forces that surged and roiled within this strange being from the dawn of time.
0: Agar is a huge part of that, as is the Man, as is the music, the direction, the fact that it's really cool 3D. Laurie Nelson isn't half bad either. You know, John Agar is such a great hero in these movies, and I feel like Revenge of the Creature might have been the one where he had a biggest budget film in which to, to fight the monsters. It's just a classic as far as I'm concerned. One of the reasons why I wanted to get a multi-region Blu-ray player is so I can watch Blu-rays from overseas, and thankfully... Uh, last year, some German company put Revenge of the Creature out on blue. So I have it on blu right here in 3D. With, I think you have to wear the glasses to watch it, but it's, it's just fun to have and a fun film, and I love it.
4: I don't know. To be honest, I've never seen it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've seen it many, many times. And no, this is not a surprise in any way that you would this film, yeah, you're, you're not surprising anyone. Uh, no, we, I didn't think I was going to. just skipped this part of the show because everyone knows exactly what you were going to say. <laughs> uh, but, I, but you're right, it's It's a fantastic film. And uh, I think one of the things I like about it is that tonally there is a slight difference between the first one and that one. Mm-hmm. You know, And I like that they did that. Of course, they took that into what I consider the wrong direction with uh, Creature Rocks Among Us, but that's an entirely different show. But yeah, it's a great entry into the series. And the funny thing is, uh, speaking of creature from Black Lagoon, is that you know everybody knows what the the creature from Black Lagoon is. They know that it exists. Very few people who you know did not grow up on this kind of stuff or weren't big fans don't realize that they made sequels
0: i was going to say that i've run into people like that i was wearing a creature from the black lagoon t-shirt the other day at work and somebody said oh i love that movie i wish they made more i'm like well they actually made two more really yeah did. yeah
4: yeah. <laughs> yeah it's just it's, it's one of those things they're they're obviously sequels and lesser known but of the two sequels this one was absolutely superior." to a third, I think.
0: I agree, although I've come around on Creature Walks Among Us for for other reasons, but that's, like you said, a different show.
4: Right, it's a different show. But, yeah, it's not a surprise that that's what you selected. (laughs) I think you're right. John Agar is is fantastic in it, and uh, I think the movie is really quite good. It is. I don't think it's better than The Creature from Black Lagoon, but that's kind of... Heresy that you even suggest that anything is correct. <laughs> That's true. At least on this show.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, if you look at my uh my record on flickchart.com you'll see that Creature and Revenge are one and two on my list. So,
4: yeah, which is not su- not surprising. And it's okay. It's okay.
0: Yeah, I think I got one of your movies in my top ten.
4: Oh well, even better. <laughs> I got I I creature got from the
0: Yeah, it's a classic. Revenge is fantastic. Uh, I love it so much. It's. Clint Eastwood's first on-screen role, first time you see him on camera. He's a, a scientist or a lab assistant, excuse me, who loses a rat in his lab coat pocket. So he's in it for a second. I mentioned Nestor Pieva earlier. He comes back. He's one of the only two characters to come back from the first film. He's Lucas, the, the boat captain, who I love. I right. love that character. Right. And he's in the very beginning of the film. He doesn't really interact with John Agar or anybody else, but he's there at the beginning. Right. Such a great film.
4: It is a worthy successor to the Creature from the mm-hmm. But again, you can't obviously necessarily compare them because few things compare to the original. Exactly, But it's a great John Agar film, if nothing else.
0: Agreed. Right. And it's the uh, film he met his wife on, if I remember right oh, from the autobiography, well. that she was one of the actors at the restaurant scene where the Gilman man comes in and takes Laurie Nelson out. I believe she was one of the actresses there. I'd have to go back and reread the autobiography, but I think that's, that's where he met her.
4: Which everyone listening should, so they need to go find it yes, <laughs> and buy it if they don't own it, and read it, and then come back to us.
0: That's right. Come back to hear what your number one is. Uh, yeah.
4: Speaking of which, uh, let's move into that, shall we? My number one, and we've discussed this a little bit, so I think you know what I'm going to say, but I don't think the folks out there know what I'm going to say. I'm not saying it's, it's his number one movie strictly because it's a great movie, because honestly, it's really not. But it's a very entertaining movie. and Actually, if you look at the three films I'm cho- I've chosen, uh, there's kind of a theme there of... These movies are awful in the best way possible. And when I say awful, I'm not insulting them in any way. Uh, I'm actually very much, you know, complimenting them for their entertainment value.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
4: and my number one is 1957's The Brain from Planet Eris.
2: You frighten me when you talk like that. It's true. I've discovered a power kind of the most feared man on earth. This is the closed-circuit television set focused on the test area, isn't it? Yes. And uh, these buildings and equipment have been placed in the desert for destruction by the atom blast. That's right. Would you all kindly watch the screen? <laughs> what you have just seen me do to that one small area. I can do to a city, a nation, or a continent. Gentlemen, I'm convinced I saw him wipe out a city of concrete and steel by some power of mind. And my advice to you and to your governments is to take what this this man says as a most serious matter. Any country I have mentioned which does not have a representative here present in this room will find its capital city wiped out.
4: <laughs> I think it is one of the best examples of sort of low-budget, cheesy monster films from the 50s. I've seen it a million times, and it scared the crap out of my kids when they were little, for whatever reason. and. It's just, to me, very entertaining. There are a lot of things about it that are very obviously low budget. There are mistakes made in the the framing of shots. There are mistakes made in how they you know put the actors in shots. There's In fact, there's one scene in particular. Uh, well, let me say this. If you haven't seen The Brain from Planet Eris, uh it's about a, a brain called gore that uh, comes from Planet Eris, imagine that, and takes over john agar's body half the time the other half of the time he just sort of tortures him and so what i think is so great about the film from a john agar standpoint is that it allows john agar to you know do some different stuff he he has to play tortured he has to play good he has to play evil i mean there's just there's so much to it that really pushes the boundaries of sort of b-movie acting and shows why John Agar is the best B-movie actor is because he commits to the whole hog and really gives it it all and comes across with a performance that is elevated above the sort of very obvious low budgetness of the film. It's not a particularly long movie and it's just, to me, very watchable and entertaining. And he, he has to wear these silver contacts that makes him extra creepy looking. Just, I love the movie uh, for its low budgetness. Because to me, honestly, of all his films, this is the one that I could see myself making. Oh, okay. And there's something about that that I like. Huh. On top of that, I, I mentioned a, a, a bit ago about how sometimes some of the things in my mind weren't necessarily shown, didn't weren't, weren't put together right by the, the filmmaker. Right. There's a scene very early on where they, they go to this, this house and, And they're having a little barbecue and they're all sitting down to eat. And there are four people there. And they're all around this this little sort of picnic table, a little four-person sort of table. And you have one guy, I think John Agar sits on the left and another guy sits on the right. And and there's a woman who's cooking, of course, right, Uh, standing (laughs) sort of behind. And then another guy comes in and he sits down with his back completely to the, the camera the entire time. The scene commences. There's not many cuts and all you see is the back of this guy's head. He has lines. He's you know eating and making jokes, but you don't see his face at all. And it's just so poorly composed as a shot that it stands out to me as a filmmaker. Whenever I see it, it makes me laugh because it's just so bad. <laughs> uh, and there's a lot of instances of that stuff like that in brain from planet Eris that again, as a filmmaker, I like, and again, I can see almost – I could. I could see myself making The Brain from Planet Eris. And I just – I love it.
0: You know, when you first mentioned this movie to me, I thought, I like, okay, I, I could see that. It's a good movie. But hearing you talk about it now and thinking about your own filmography – I can see some influence in this from this movie and things like It Came From Another World. Absolutely. Uh, with, with that tortured character that's being controlled by an alien. Now, you don't have this big inflatable brain-looking thing in it, but you have that same kind of back and forth. He's talking to himself. He's being tortured by this right. alien who took him over, that sort of thing. So I can totally see the influence there as well, which if you want to know more, if you want to get some insight into Christopher R. Mim's movies, watch more John Agar, I guess is what I'm saying here.
4: It's true. It's true. A lot of times when I make films, I get a lot of influence from the films I like the most from this era. And and a lot of them happen to be John Agar films. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned earlier that I gave a guy a role simply because I was like, he's he's sort of the poor man's Agar. I can can work with this.
0: (laughs) And I also wanted to comment on what you said about how you get to see Agar kind of play this tortured role, and even kind of a villain almost.
4: Well, yeah, and
0: he's the hero and the
4: villain, which is what's beautiful about it, is that he gets to play the good guy and the bad guy at the same time. Uh, and he does this smile in it when he's got these these silver contacts. Oh, God. It's actually creepy uh, my son it's creepy as hell. And my son Elliot, who has played several roles in my movies and actually played the title character in my movie, Danny Johnson Saves the World, has grown up on these movies, which I suppose is no surprise to anyone who knows me.
0: That's parenting uh, done right, sir.
4: <laughs> right. Uh, well, actually, uh, you know, you'll like this, and I'd love to, I want to tell this story real quick on, on your podcast for the listeners to hear, is that I asked my, my five-year-old son what his favorite movie was the other day, and he said Creature from the Black Lagoon. Yes. Uh, and actually, we were at Monster Bash when I met you finally in person. He basically did anything, I mean, he begged, borrowed, stole, you know, whined until he got his own stuffed stuff. Creature from the Black Lagoon—that is his absolute favorite stuffed animal. So
0: right on. Sorry, I've done—I've
4: done some good stuff. Yes, uh, you and have. he actually. <laughs> this, and and he this summer we do a little outdoor movie with a projector, and we in the summer we set up a screen outside and sit outside and watch movies. He absolutely made us watch uh, all three of the creature films. He's like, "We're starting with these. We're watching these before we do anything else." <laughs> and so we we watched all the creature films and the Brain from Planets. But my son Elliot, when he was much younger. The eyes in that John Egar wears these mm-hmm. big silver contacts, and he's got this giant creepy smile. It scared the crap out of him to the point that he couldn't watch The Brain from Planet Eris until he, for at least, I think he saw it when he was maybe four. And it scared him so bad that I couldn't even have have it on. If he heard the music from another room, he would freak out. I'd have oh, to wow. turn it off. It just, it really scared him. He finally watched it all the way through about a year ago. And, I could tell watching him that it was like he, he could handle it now that he's you know a teenager, but it was still kind of creeping him out. Like you could sort of look in his face, like he was fighting through it. It's like I'm old enough to enjoy this now, but I'm still scared by it. <laughs>
0: Awesome. Yeah, I, I see pictures of your uh your drive in. Basically it's a, it's an outside movie night and I'm like, man, if I lived anywhere near you, you know I'd be crashing that party.
4: Every time we're we're showing, especially like uh, anything cool, creature related in particular, I think I always send you a picture like, Hey, don't you wish to live closer? <laughs> yeah, uh-huh.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: <sighs>
0: well, good list, man. Good list. Good, good list. Uh you know, John Agar, so many great films. Did you have any honorable mentions, things that almost made the cut?
4: I very much was, especially for number two. It kind of was a tie for puppet people and mole people. Okay. Uh, but then when I started going around a little bit, I refined it. Actually, I think uh, while we were sitting here talking, I was like, oh wait, I forgot about Journey to the Seven Planets. So it kind of started knocking uh, mole people down the list. Oh, okay. But of course, I guess I would have to say an actual honorable mention would have to be tarantula.
2: What if circumstances were to magnify one of them in size and strength... ...took it out of its primitive world and turned it loose in ours... ...then expect something that's fiercer, more cruel and
3: deadly... ...than anything that ever walked the earth? Even science was stunned. The new atomic miracle should have been mankind's greatest boon. Instead, when such power to cause phenomenal growth proved dangerously unstable... ...man was confronted with his most shocking blunder... The isotope triggered our nutrient into a nightmare. A blunder that transformed a tiny insect into the hundred foot spider that was now ravaging the panic-stricken countryside.
4: I'm the guy who made the movie The Giant Spider that hints heavily towards references Tarantula quite a bit. And, of course, Bert Jordan refers to the spider. Sure. But uh, Tarantula would have to be my big honorable mention, just because it's a giant spider movie. And like my movie The Giant Spider, that's all you really need to know.
0: (laughs) Yep. No, and it's a great film. Again, it's got an early screen appearance of Clint Eastwood in there for a second. Uh, It's great music. Mira Corday, I believe, is the female leading that, isn't she? And, And she's amazing. Yes. You know, yeah. I, I would put there on my yeah. honorable mention Yeah, definitely. She'd be on my honorable mention list. I'd also probably put invisible invaders on my list.
3: Within three days, the dead will destroy all the living. from another planet outside your galaxy I'm
2: sorry I, I just don't understand
3: unless Earth surrenders in 24 hours we will begin a mass invasion we are invisible we are invisible Adam Penner you cannot see us from outer space come the invisible invaders Living dead men threatening to destroy
2: all life on earth.
4: I sort of do that a little bit. If it were a five point list, I'd probably be five on my
0: list. There you go. There you go. There you go. You got Agar, you got John Carradine together, an early, early zombie movie before things got all gut munchy. Just a great film. Did
4: you say gut munching? I, I, I did. I did.
0: <laughs> That's
4: a great term.
0: I wanted to mention something that uh, a movie that. It's hard to find. I kind of lucked into a copy of it. It's from 1960. It's not a genre film, but it stars John Agar and Julie Adams together. Uh, The movie is called Raimi, and it's not a genre film at all. It's just about a kid growing up in a small fishing community. Julie Adams is a single mother. John Agar is his playboy fisherman type. And there's a little bit of romance, a little bit of adventure going on. It's a family-friendly film with a Jerry Lewis sung soundtrack.
4: Huh. I I can honestly say I have never seen it.
0: I've never even heard of it until well, I have eBay alerts for John Agar and Julie Adams, and <laughs> and it popped up one day. Not Somebody surprising, was, yeah, yeah. It popped up one day. Somebody was selling a poster for this movie Raimi. I'm like, What, what is that? I don't I don't get. Well, what? <laughs> you see the two of them in there together, and like, wow, that's, that's great. I mean, Jerry Lewis singing the theme songs a little much. But beyond that, I mean, it's a, it's a fun little movie, kind of heartwarming and all. Huh. If people can track it down, I'd recommend it because you get to see, you know, my 50s girlfriend with John Agar. It's nice.
4: Hmm. I've honestly never even heard of it uh, until now. So now I want to find this here. <laughs>
0: There's also, uh, if you look on some of the public domain lists, archive.org, Roku, you might find a TV movie called Destination Space that he was in. Now, this was a pilot that never got developed into a series, but it's a science fiction movie, 1959. He's an astronaut going into space. You know, it's kind of like a lot of setup, but it's still fun. You get to watch John yep. Agar being an astronaut, and he's good at that. So I'd recommend that to people as well, after you get through our top three lists, of course.
4: One of the things i recommend to people uh, would be to, if they can, uh, and I'm sure if you are one of those people that owns one of those um, public domain 50 discs, Mill Creek releases, Zontar, the thing from Venus mm-hmm. from 1966, which is a Larry Buchanan film. I don't know if it's, a, it's necessarily what I would consider a great movie, but I think it's one that people should see. Let's say that.
0: It's it's Buchanan, so, you know, it shows its seems quite a bit, but it's still fun. I mean, it's, it's basically a remake of It Conquered the World, but still. Yes, but it's entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um,
4: it's Agar at his finest. <laughs> Agar being Agar. Yep. It has great monsters in it.
0: Oh, it does, doesn't it? Zontar looks great.
4: You know, like I said, growing up, to me, it was always about the monster. Uh, and if it had a good monster, it wouldn't matter how bad the movie was. That's why you take a film like, uh, and this is an Anger film, but one of, the, one of my favorite movies from sort of that era is The Green Slime. <laughs> because the monsters are so cool. And of course, the movie is more violent than uh, a lot of the other films of that era. But the monster in it, regardless of whatever else goes on in that, that movie, the monsters in that movie are just so cool, especially when you're a kid that it just became one of my favorites and it also has a great theme song
0: i was about to say you've just successfully gotten the theme song from journey from the seventh planet out of my head and replaced it with the green green slime in your head (laughs) right thanks chris
4: (laughs) you're welcome Uh, next (laughs) up will be the blob
0: oh boy Those are all great films. The monster, if you got a good monster, you're halfway there.
4: Exactly. Uh, that's that's one of the, the beauties of this, this genre, is that sometimes even the story is, is secondary. If you got a good monster that just looks cool and and, and works, you got yourself a winner. Agreed. Uh, and a theme song helps. <laughs> you know, that a lot of these, I, I didn't realize this when I was talking, you know, mentioning is that they have good songs in them uh, and good, you know, as in quotes. Good songs in them, uh, like Journey to the Seven Planet*, or the opening of the Blob or *Or the Green Slime. Uh, we did that in my film, The Giant Spider. We actually have a really good catchy theme song for The Giant Spider that I love and a lot of people love. It's, it's very much an earworm.
0: I do enjoy it quite a bit. I was going to ask if I can play it on the show. Uh, absolutely. So we'll use that to burn all these other earworms out. Chris? I want to thank you for taking the time to be on Monster Kid Radio. It's been way too long, like I said, and I'm glad we were able to get you in before our production began in earnest on Where's
4: WhereSkeeto,
0: Nazi Hunter. com, and that's St. all spelled out. And Well, just follow the link in the show notes over at net. That's where you've got everything that people need to know about what you've got going on, plus a couple of podcasts.
4: Yes. Uh, we have the uh, the Mimiverse Bonfire podcast, which is a a very informal podcast where we sit down with people who either help make the movies or even just are tangentially related, and we usually just talk about other stuff. The idea came up, I want to host Mark Hader, who plays General Castle, who we mentioned earlier in the films. We used to sit around bonfires in my backyard in the summer, and we would just sit around and talk about the movies, and we'd talk about movies and then just random tangential things. And he mentioned one day, we should record this and turn it into a podcast. And I agreed, and we did it. And we are on, I think, episode number 51 or 52. Uh, we've been doing it for at least four-plus years. It's really fun. It's very informal. Half the time, we talk about the most random stuff. But it's very entertaining in that way, and then it feels more like you're hanging out with us around the fire, and we're just talking
0: I love about it. whatever strikes us. When a new show comes out, I'm, I'm always excited. And You know, I don't get to hang out with you guys. I don't live anywhere near you. But I feel like I right. know you through the podcast.
4: Right, because it is very informal. The idea behind it is that there is no real structure. Uh, we just get together and we just hang out and talk in a in a way that, if we called you on a Friday and said, "Hey, you know, we're gonna have a little bonfire. You know, bring your own beer or whatever. Come on over. You can sit around. You can drink. You can not drink, and we'll have snacks and we'll we'll talk about whatever the heck is is on our minds at the time. So it's loosely sort of related to my films in that uh, a lot of the people we select to be on the on the podcast are are involved, but uh, we don't always talk about the Mimiverse. The other one, the other podcast, is all about the Mimiverse, uh, (laughs) and that is the Mimiverse monthly audio cast, and that's just me talking for about 40 minutes. And a lot of times I'll just talk about what's going on uh, with the production of the films, uh, events coming up, Sometimes I sort of wax philosophic about why I do this and why you should do the things you want to do. I mean, I get a little uh, into it uh, sometimes. And then, of course, we uh, have an ongoing serial, uh, a Canoe Cops versus the Mummy serial written by Stephen D. Sullivan, who I know has been on your show a couple of times. And it's very entertaining. Uh, and it's just a serialized story about the characters of the canoe cops who are very popular amongst fans of the films. Uh, They appeared in the Monster Phantom Lake and it came from another world, the first few universe films. Uh, They took those characters and the concept of those characters and expanded it out into this great serialized story that I read a chapter of every month on the podcast written by Stephen Sullivan.
0: When we saw The Giant Spider, one of the movies on the marquee was The Canoe Cops versus Canoe
4: Cops versus The Mummy. Which,
0: yeah. I've got a mummy fetish, so, you know, I was <laughs> like, oh, I want to see that movie. And Steve's given us that movie, quote-unquote, in story form. I like that story a lot. I'm enjoying it. And I love all the references. You know, there's Z Agar, there's Z Adams, all these other people.
4: Right, you know, named I've, after
0: these chari- these people that we love.
4: One of the things go- that's been going on for the last, I've been doing the, the numerous films for 10 years now, is that the Canoe Cops characters are very, very popular. And people often will come up to me and say, when are you making the Canoe Cops movie? And I get really nervous about the idea of doing a Canoe Cops movie, if only because uh, I don't want to ruin it. I sometimes think that maybe the Canoe Cops are popular because they've only been seen in small chunks. And I worry about sort of the too much of a good thing you know, ruining it. Uh, and so when I made The Giant Spider and we did this film, you know, the scenes that take place at a drive-in, I needed to put stuff up on the marquee, so I put up Cable Woman on Mars was one of them, just because it's a little in-joke about my movie Cable Woman on Mars. But then also I was like, I'm going to throw a Canoe caps thing up there just to partially torture those people who are really excited by the concept <laughs> of there being a Canoe caps. movie, and then also make, sort of give them some false hope that there might still be. But yes, uh, Steve is taking it over and I've given him pretty much free reign to interpret it as he wants to. And I have no real input. I think I gave him a few ground rules of just, you know, how the canoe cops function. So as it's not completely out of it. But then he's taken it and ran with it. A lot of times, I've only read it once before I read it on the show. And I usually read it that day just because I want to sort of discover this along with everyone
0: else. It's definitely one of my favorite podcasts to listen to when something comes out because I'm a big fan of what you do and I consider you a good friend and hearing Steve's story is just, you know, gravy. And I will eventually begin contributing to that podcast again. I promise it will happen.
4: Okay.
0: (laughs) It will happen. (laughs) Now, I used to contribute a segment, listeners, to uh, Chris's show, and it will come back. I've got a few things in mind, so it will happen.
4: Well, we know you're a busy guy. I mean, you obviously have stuff going on you got your podcast to worry about, it's okay. Uh, we also, we do have a um, Dr. Bob Tesla, who's a horror host in Columbus, who's a good friend of the universe. Part of his shtick is he does really bad jokes. And so every month we throw one of Dr. Bob Tesla's bad jokes into the uh, the mix. And, and I always find them really funny. And maybe that's just something about my particular sense of humor. But uh, uh, he's a podcast. And I think I want to If you'll allow me to plug something that's coming up Plug away, sir. uh, Oh,
0: wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. minute. Pimp yourself.
4: Oh, there you go. Nice, nice. Uh, (laughs) The the New Universe Bonfire podcast listeners will know what that is. Dr. Bob Tesla is this great uh, horror host in Columbus, Ohio, that does a monthly screening series for, I believe it's free. This event won't be, but you'll figure out why soon here. Uh, But he does just, he, he shows movies in Columbus, Ohio, and they're all of the cheesy variety uh, and actually his show began because I met him at Monster Bash in 2010 and uh, he was just starting his show and he wanted to show movies that no one else was showing. He didn't want to show the same public domain movies that sort of every other horror host is sort of stuck showing. And so he asked if he could show my films and he did and that's become very much intertwined with his show My my movies are a big deal within his audience. And so what we're going to be doing on April 16th. In Columbus, Ohio, Dr. Bob will be holding the Mimathon, which is a 24-hour marathon of Mimiverse films and other related stuff. It's going to be really fun. So if you have never seen my movies but really want to just jump in whole beat first, head first into my cinematic universe uh, and watch them all over the course of 24 hours and you're near the Columbus, Ohio area, you should come down for the Mimathon, and you won't be the same person when you leave. I'll just tell you that.
0: 24 hours, huh?
4: 24 hours. Uh wow. There will be one of the things we will be doing, in addition to showing the films, some of the intermission entertainment. I think we will be including the Canoe Cops the of the Mummy serial in there as well. Uh, sort of some sort of the downtime when, when people are just hanging out or napping between films. Uh, we'll be doing some <laughs> of that. Uh, the Commander Lambent Space Explorer in space which was a, a little radio show we were doing for a little while, those five ten 10-minute segments on the Middleverse Bonfire podcast. Those will be played there. Uh, I'll be there. Several other actors and characters and, and folks will be in attendance. So uh, we're going to be a big, fun event if people can get out here on April 16th in Columbus. If you do a search for Dr. Bob Tesla or Midnight Monster Movies with Dr. Bob or even just go to St. Euphoria.com and check out the events page, you'll find information on how you can go and get tickets and the good stuff.
0: If I was in the area, you know, I'd go. We'd turn it into a Monster Kid radio crash. I'd be all over it.
4: Oh, sweet. Do you think you could make it through all 24 hours? you think you could do it?
0: Uh, you know, it would be tough. I've had to cut back on my energy drinks, but we'll, we'll see. <laughs> if, it, we would see. If I could get out there, I, I would give it a shot.
4: Honestly, the, your presence alone would be, uh, would be enough. You could sleep through the entire thing, but I'd, I'd, <laughs> I'd be... Simply touched by your by Monster Kid Radio's presence. Uh,
0: you know, one of these days I need to get out to a premiere or something.
4: Well, I think this year we're going to have to make it happen for the Weresquito one because we're shooting for October, uh, and so you have time to plan. Um, <laughs> and maybe we need to just do a GoFundMe or something. <laughs> get Derek out to the Weresquito premiere. You and the wife can come out. You won't have to pay for much of anything. We'll put you up somewhere. We know people here. We can we'll put you in a bedroom somewhere, and we'll give you the grand tour and all the things that are, all the places we've we filmed you could make you could probably get about six or seven shows out of it i'm saying we got to make it happen
0: someday my friend someday all right all right chris again thank you good luck with the film and give my best to your lovely wife and your family and the cast and crew of where and everybody else
4: i absolutely will thank you so much for having me on and this has been really fun i'll, I'll make a point to come on more often if, if you'd like
0: oh i'd love to have you i just know you're a busy now with the movies uh, all right That song was the theme from The Giant Spider by the band The Night Hobbs. If you haven't seen The Giant Spider, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. I love all of Mim's movies. The Giant Spider is my favorite. I mentioned my FlickChart account a little bit ago. The Giant Spider is in my top ten on my FlickChart. So when Chris gave a C-O-K okay to play that song on the show, I was thrilled. I hope you guys and gals dig it. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Chris. And if you want to know more about Chris, there's a couple of ways you can do that. Go to euphoria.com. That's St. all spelled out. Euphoria is dot acom Or go to WhereSkeeto. Yeah, it's it's spelled exactly how it sounds. com, And you'll go straight to the contributor page for WhereSkeeto.com. Nazi hunter. You can buy all of his movies directly from him, and they're pretty affordable. We're talking like 10 bucks a pop. Strike that. They're $9.99. And if you are a member of the fan club, you get free shipping. Otherwise, it's just two fifty a DVD. He's also got a few of these available on Blu-ray. There are posters available, some lobby cards. Chris is doing it upright. And if we're all lucky, he'll keep doing it for years to come keep up with chris at that website or his podcast the mimiverse monthly Audiocast, which you can find in itunes or you can download directly from saint euphoria.com and another thing you have to download directly from saint euphoria.com is the mimiverse bonfire podcast it is not available on itunes but you can get it straight from chris's website for free once a month ish it's produced by mark and ruby and while this promo is a little out of date because there's been a couple of movies since then I'll let them tell you about it. Hi, this is Ruby. And I'm Hater, And we host the Mimiverse Bonfire Podcast. A podcast based on Christopher R. Mim, a Minnesota filmmaker who's got eight films under his belt, soon to be nine.
2: And they're all 1950s-style black-and-white
0: movies. The podcast revolves around actors, the making of the films, and various other little fun bits. And technicians. <laughs> you can find us
3: at SaintEuphoria.com or like us on Facebook. That would be the Mimiverse Bonfire
1: Podcast. Hope you tune in. Daughter of Dr. Jekyll, yearning for love and discovering on the eve of her marriage the monstrous inheritance that was her birthright of fear. Oh, I
2: still shudder when I recall that face. Like some perverted mask of evil out of a legend of horror. Then then you saw him as Hyde? Once, at the very last. Just before the mob caught him. They almost tore him to pieces. The villagers broke into this tomb and drove a stake through his heart.
1: Daughter of Dr. Jekyll. Terrified that she become the disfigured thing that was her father. A vampire drawing sustenance from bestiality.
2: a stake and drive it through my heart and bury me beside my father well do it do I have to kill myself if you love me please kill me
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I've appreciated having you along for this ride. Man, John Agar, I absolutely adore his films. Like I said earlier, even when he's in a movie that, you know, isn't nearly as prestige as some of the others, he still brings, you know, I'm just going to start using Chris's term. He brings charm to his roles. I call it charisma. There's a magnetism. I can't help but want to just hang out with that guy and go fight monsters with him. He's infinitely fun to watch. Putting him in a movie makes it all the better. So thanks to Christopher R. Mem for spending some time with me this week on the show. There will be links to everything that I mentioned earlier in the show notes at monsterkidradio.net, where you can find everything else you need to know about Monster Kid Radio between episodes, including our contact information. You can email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com, or you can send us a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5657. M K R. We also have plenty of links to follow and enjoy at our website, like a link to our Facebook group, a link to every song that's appeared here on every episode of monster kid radio. We have a small Amazon store and yeah, we do have a link to our Patreon page, but we're going to be revamping that next month. So stay tuned for that and stay tuned until next week, because I'm having another Chris join me here on the podcast, Chris McMillan from the shadow over Portland. We're going to shine a little light on his number two favorite monster movie of all time.
2: That thing's alive, sir. I saw it. I shot at it. I hit it. I know it. Nothing happened. It just kept coming at me, making a noise like I cat I not mean, Captain, it was awful. If you could have seen those hands and those eyes, Captain, you've got to do something about it. You've got...
3: Is it human or inhuman? Earthly or
2: unearthly? Baffling questions. Astounding questions that not even the world's greatest scientific minds can answer. Gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? A being from another world as different from us as one pole from the other. We can only communicate with it. see. What happened, Doctor? In the greenhouse, I was working, I couldn't see. Yeah. Then, then a blast of cold air and I heard Olson scream.
1: Come here. Get in the corner. Now hold this in front of you. Stay by the light switch
2: point
0: nine needles hit the top chris mcmillan was along for the ride at the very beginning of this podcast and it's a joy to have him back on the show so next week we'll be talking about the thing from another world Until then, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song, Nobody Here But Us Spooks. That belongs to the band Found Drowned. It's on their album Spooky Sounds. You can find them at founddrownedusa.bandcamp.com com or follow the link in the show notes. However you get to their website, however you buy their album, let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. Thanks for listening. Talk to everybody next week.